Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer's Sermon Podcast. The readings appointed for this sermon are from the book of Exodus chapter 34, verse 29 through 35, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 21, the Gospel according to Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through 36, and Psalm 99, verse 5 through 9. God grant us serenity to accept the things that we cannot change. Courage to change the things that we can, and the wisdom to know the difference in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. When I was a kid, there was a new show that was introduced to MTV and therefore to the whole world uh, called The Real World. And the real world was, a, was, was known as sort of the birth of the reality boom. Uh, it was the first reality show in modern times that caught on and kind of became a hit. And if, you'll, if you've heard of this show or have not, they would take uh, seven people who'd never met before and they put them into a, a, an apartment together in New York and kept the cameras on 24 hours a day and then called it real. Um, but they, their, their slogan, I'll never forget, you know, at the beginning of the show, they'd say, this is the true story of what happens when seven strangers live together, stop being polite, and start being real. And I, uh, n- never mind the fact that these people were uh, intentionally picked by producers to create the most uh, explosive situations possible, uh, never, never, never mind the artifice of placing these people into situations that would force them to confront some of their biases and prejudices and problems with each other and then have it all on camera all the time. Never mind all of the artifice for just a second. It was the first time in my young life where I had been presented with the idea uh, that if you stuck around long enough, you'd see the real version of a person. The idea that what you saw at first and what you got if you kept with them was going to be something different. This is oftentimes uh, entered into our own vernacular as someone saying, finally, I see the real you, which almost is never a compliment, if you've noticed. (laughs) As a child, you might remember, I know I do, your parents, uh, the way they'd be when company was around uh, and, and getting ready for company, right? Making sure the house looked appropriate for people to see, they don't want to know how we really live, right? You'd remember this. You'd remember the shift. Even sometimes their voices would change when others are around, and then they'd leave, and, they'd, and their energy would shift uh, completely. Uh, you, you've probably seen this. And then you remember as you've gotten, as you got older, uh, maybe your first job, how everyone was the first week or two weeks, or how you felt and how you acted. You show up. I mean, gosh, you all, I used to show up for things on time. No, I really did. Um, <laughs> You know, you have this idea of, of uh, you, 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 uh, you want people to put your best foot forward, or the, and so does the company, and, and then after, you know, a few weeks, a few months, uh, all of a sudden people start to see how they really, how does this place really work, and how do I really fit in it? And of course, we know this happens in relationships. We know how we are when we first meet someone, how guarded we are. We know how carefully we enter into certain conversations. And we all know how long it takes us, or has taken us in different friendships and different relationships before we really allowed someone to see ourselves. Oftentimes we might even measure who our closest friends and loved ones are by the fact that we were able to be ourselves with them more quickly. You know this feeling. There is a, there is a fear of being yourself 
that we all experience. There's a mask we are accustomed to placing upon ourselves. Some of it is just for common courtesy and decorum, but some of it is because we, we're scared of what people will see. Today, the church celebrates a strange feast day. It's called the Feast of the Transfiguration. You've heard the story if you've been here. I mean, we, we read it once or twice a year. You hear it a lot. Which doesn't necessarily mean we understand it any better. Even the word transfiguration, it's a word Christians just had to make up. We just made it up. We just were like, we got to come up with a word for what happened here. Okay? It's an important word that we made up. There's a reason why we did. Jesus, it says, takes three of his closest companions with him up this hill. And all of a sudden it says that he is transfigured before them. And his clothes are white as snow, as white as anything could make them. And he's shining and glowing. He's transfigured before them. And then in that moment, Moses and Elijah show up representing uh, the law of Israel and the prophets of Israel. They show up and uh, seem to confer their blessing upon him. And the three of them sort of get into, uh, they talk shop a little bit, you know. Um, and then God's, God speaks. This is my son, my beloved, of whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. All of this, this, is, this is the transfiguration. Made up word because it's not the same as Jesus being transformed before them. And to be transformed is to be changed. To be transformed is to have something different about you. I used to be like that, but now I'm like this, right? A transformation. Jesus does not change in this story. How his loved ones see him changes in this story. Jesus is still Jesus. This isn't the moment he becomes the son of God. It's not the moment where God the father decides this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is not the moment in which he becomes the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and the covenant between God and God's people Israel. This is not that moment. This is the moment when people see what was already true about Jesus. He is not transformed, he is transfigured, which is to say the mask is down and they get to see Jesus for who he really is. Transfiguration. The opportunity for us to see Jesus not for who we want him to be, not for what we think he should be, but for who he actually is standing before us. What a powerful moment. And it's worth us being attentive to how it came about, at least to the degree that we can understand it. For the disciples, who are the disciples? They are some of the people who follow Jesus the most closely. That word disciple doesn't just mean a fan of Jesus or even a student of Jesus. If you are a disciple, you are sharing life with Jesus. The disciples are, no, the, disciples are the ones who know what Jesus' breath smells like. The disciples are the ones who know what Jesus is like before his first cup of coffee. That's who the disciples are. They know him. They know what frustrates him the most. They know, they see a Pharisee preaching hypocrisy and they go, here goes Jesus, watch what he does now. They're the ones who know how to get him riled up. 
And then among the 12 that we're aware of, these three, Peter, James, and John, they are known as the ones that are the most close with Jesus. They are known as the ones who are, have the most intimate friendship with him. And we know, we know that the, the more and the better we know someone, the more we see the real them. The real them is what we see. This is what they see. And there's another wonderful thing that happens in the text today. And it says that they were tired, but they stayed awake. And then they were allowed to see. They were tired, they were weighed down with sleep, but they stayed awake. This is a reality that we understand, that we can sort of want to close our eyes and shut our eyes once we get to a certain point with someone. We've seen what we know, we know what we know, we, we understand the person, we've put them into our category, into our box, we know who they are, we're just going to kind of call it there and take a nap. But if we keep our eyes open, if we stay alert and awake to others, they don't change but our understanding of them changes. Now, whether it be a love relationship, a friendship, a work relationship, a, your relationship with your business, whatever the thing is, you all know what the honeymoon period is like, and you all know when it ends. But you also know in many of these relationships, when you stick around past the point, when you kind of hate the person or the thing, you kind of love it, and it's amazing, and it's the greatest, and then, no, it's not, and what was I thinking? But then if you stick around, and you go deeper, and stay longer, and stay alert, and stay awake, you begin to love again, but you love differently. You begin to see the people you love again, but you see them differently. Have they changed? No. Has your picture of them changed, your understanding, yes. The story that we have of our God today is that if we stick around and if we pay attention and if we are serious about intimacy, about closeness, about knowing God, we will see God. And we'll see the real thing. We'll see the real love that has made us. We won't like all of it. And we won't know how to handle a lot of it. But it's there for us. But I don't think we should stop there, friends, because I think there's something we oftentimes do with our stories about Jesus. That I think we leave them in once upon a time. As if the only point of this story is to point to the reality that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is glorious and chosen in the fulfillment of the covenant. And, and by the way, yes to all those things. Those are all true. But why would we leave it there in the past and say, I just need you to believe this story about God well enough, and then you'll be the right kind of Christian. But as Ellen read earlier from 1 Peter, Peter himself in his letter says, we're not here to follow perfectly crafted myths so that we can have some symbol of God. We're here because of an experience that we've had, and we want to talk about our witnessing of God's presence. I am not interested in you all believing the right things about who Jesus was. I am interested in us recognizing Jesus and his presence here and now in our lives, in our selves. Jesus didn't do a bunch of really awesome things and then say, don't you wish you could do that? 
Jesus does amazing things and then says, you will do even more amazing things. Jesus says, I belong to the Father and now so do you. Jesus says, come with me and follow me and so that you too can feed and nourish and care for people, that others will be nourished by your love and not just mine, he says. Jesus may be to have this exclusive claim on the sonship of God, but he is inclusive in his understanding that all people are not meant just to look at him and admire him, but all people are capable of loving like him. And so what I want us to understand about this transfiguration is that it's not meant to be kept in a box back in the past once upon a time, but in fact, through this story, this whole world, this whole creation, our whole lives are meant to be transfigured to display the full glory of God. The disciples in that moment, they see Jesus through God's eyes, and that is what the glory is. Our job as Christians is not to transform this world. It is to live in this world and love this world, to look at this world through God's eyes and love this world with God's love so that it may be transfigured not transformed, transfigured before us. And we may see how God is already blessing us, how God is already working in this world, how God is already showering this place with love and care. And it is hard to see sometimes. I do know that. This is the work of the Christian. It's work. Just like it's hard to see the person in front of you as God's beloved all the time. We don't always see it. We did, as I mentioned earlier, have a wedding here yesterday. And I reminded the couple, as I always remind the couples, you will not always see each other the way you see each other today. And that is a good thing. First of all, it would be exhausting if you kept liking each other like this. But secondly... The love of a bride and groom is beautiful. And part of the reason we all know it's beautiful is its naivete. It's the fact that they make promises they would never dare make if they knew better. That's a beautiful thing. What a great thing to be suckered into that kind of love. I mean it, you know? Because then they've made the promise and then they stick around and then they get past the infatuation and then they get to love. And that is what God wants for all of us in this world with one another. Not just in romantic or marital relationships. In all of our relationships, we are meant to have this world be transfigured before us. We do that by sticking around. We do that by getting to know the people. We do that by not just loving them on principle or in ideals, but for who they really are. And if all this is true, by the way, then it's not just the world's transfiguration of the people around you. It's your own. I believe that God wants you not to be turned into the kind of person that is a blessing. I believe God wants you to see yourself as a blessing as you are. I believe that you are meant to be transfigured 
so that people can see the presence of God in you that is already there. We have such a hard time seeing it in some of the people around us, of course. We have a really hard time acknowledging it within ourselves. My prayer is for our transfiguration. Not just that we will see it in Jesus, but that through the transfiguration of Jesus, our understanding of this whole world will be shifted. That we will see the real us at last and that it will be a gift. In Jesus' name.